0: A mysterious, intriguing, and often misunderstood occupation. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of The Hacker Factory. I'm your host, Philip Wiley, The Hacker Maker. In each episode, I have a guest that shares their story of how they got started in offensive cybersecurity, uh, bug bounty, security research, or other areas of cybersecurity. And this episode, I'm I'm happy to welcome Derek Scheller. Uh, I know Derek from InfoSec Twitter and and his stream. So it's an honor to have you on today, Derek.
2: Yeah, definitely, man. I'm happy to be here. I mean, me and you have talked a lot. I, I've, I've been following a lot of what you do over the past few years. And uh, so being here is just amazing. It's, it's crazy how small of a community we are that some of these big names just are starting to pop up more and more of, uh, you know, hey, let's collaborate. Let's do things when I still feel like I'm fighting to get, you know, even seen. And so it's interesting. And it's, it's been a wild year well, year and a half probably now.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it has. Yeah. Sometimes it just takes a while. You know, some people are out there for a while and you don't hear just like I was talking to uh, trying to think it was during our podcast, but talking to to Heath and he was kind of mentioning, you know, John Hammond had been out there for years creating content. And then it's just the last pu- couple of years that he really blew up and people are, are starting to see him more and stuff. So it's just seems like sometimes just kind of a timing thing.
2: Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, when you're creating content, it comes down, and I've talked to Alyssa Miller about it uh, myself and Eric Bellardo with the two shows we do, and it's been very much um, trying to – it's one thing if you do a lot of conference talks. So, like, if you go to B-sides or DEF CONs or things like that, um, then it becomes – it's a lot easier to get your name out there, right, because you're in front of people live and in person or even on virtual, you know, mm-hmm. um, conferences right now. Uh, but I've never been a fan of like CFPs. It's just I, I don't know. I'm the type of person I just I like to talk, but I don't ever necessarily have a topic of conversation that I think will run on for a half hour, an hour, unless I'm talking to somebody else. Um, so I always feel uncomfortable doing CFPs, and I think a lot of other people do too. So that was why I started my show. But and at the same time. If you're not in front of people, then people don't know who you are and people don't see you. So they don't follow you or whatever. So when you're relying on doing things organically, I think it's a little bit harder. Um, not to say it's not hard doing CFPs and talking in front of people and things of that nature. Just, I think it, it diminishes your audience a little bit just because now you're limited to only certain things instead of exploring all avenues.
1: Yeah. It's interesting how it works because conference talks is kind of how I got my how I got started, but it's interesting too that, you know, comparing followers and stuff, you know, I'm not doing any better than you are. And I've only been doing my stream for, I don't know, stream and podcast, the podcast since March and streaming somewhere around the same time. But as far as the stream goes, just not that many followers in the stream, but I guess there's a lot of people that go back and watch the the videos later on too. Yeah, and
2: that tends to be how it goes. I mean, even um, if you consider, um, you know, at most, I think I've had 20, maybe 25 while I'm, you know, doing my live streams and things like that. But then after the fact is when you'll see. I think the, the highest one I have right now is like 100 and some views, maybe 200. Um, but, I mean, that doesn't take away from what I'm doing. And the way I see it is any person reaches a person reach, even if it's the same people every week um and i find it comical because um at one point because shannon morris has been on the show and me and her you know we talk a lot and i try to get a lot of advice from her um on what i can do better and do different and things of that nature especially with her audience granted she does things a little differently doing technical videos um and doesn't do a whole lot live so hers is more well produced and thought out and you know things of that nature um and so I did, I was amazed, you know, when you see someone like that and in infosec and privacy, she's really big cause she's been doing it for so long. And so I called her out one episode uh, and I was just like, yeah, I don't even know if Shannon watches my show, but you know, uh, she's amazing people in this at the third. And she actually left a comment and she was like, actually, yeah, I do watch your show. And I was like, Oh, woo-hoo. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was after the fact because depending on the hours that it airs and what people have going on at that time of day and things like that, but I just thought it was funny you know something like that it's always nice to know that and, and and again it comes back to i've said it before my i said it actually this past friday um on my podcast you know my why is to help others and so whether i'm losing money or making money as long as i'm helping someone that's all that matters to me and so um it's a lot of how i, I do things man as long as people continue to say hey this helps this is worthwhile this is useful I'll continue to do it. Um, the moment I stop finding out that it's useful to anybody, if I'm still not making any money from it, then yeah, I'll probably stop. But while, while people still find it either entertaining or, you know, useful information, then it's worth, it, it'll continue to be worth doing for me.
1: Yeah. I think, it, and I honestly think that if your your intent is to help others, then I think that you will succeed because that's just kind of, the things I do are based on helping people. I know there's a lot of other people that stream and content creators that are making money and I don't make zip, but it seems like, you know, you just kind of helping people and seeing them succeed, you know, that's kind of a good reward in itself. Cause you know, we can, we can only succeed so much ourselves, but then sometimes when you help others succeed, sometimes it's even a better feeling to see, you know, how they were able to accomplish this from your advice. So you're able to multiply what you're doing on your own through other people.
2: Oh yeah, for sure, and that's the big thing I, th- I love about cybersecurity is yeah you have those outliers, right? And and more and more I'm I'm involved in the community, especially over the past few years. Um, you know, somehow I avoid all the drama. I don't know how, but somehow I do. Um, mainly, it's because I keep my mouth shut and just stay out of it. But seeing people that have either been on my show or watched my show say, "Hey, yeah, I did this and it worked out great," or "I did this and it worked out great," or See them come on the show, and now all of a sudden they've got, you know, over a thousand, two thousand, three thousand followers, started their own channel, and they're, you know, doing great things. Anytime I see that makes me happy because, like you said, it's to me, it's always been about helping other people because that's how we'll succeed. Um, Or at least that's where I find my success. I have a full time job, I don't need to do what I'm doing. Um, I'm doing it because I love helping others. And so, you know, it's one of those things where. That is my reward. My reward is not financial gain. My reward is seeing the success of others. And me and David Fraley have talked about this before. Makeshift, um, you know, if you're the only true success is if you're bringing others up with you. If you're if you're holding people down, are you really succeeding or are you just stepping on people to kind of make your way in the world? And I never want to. I never want anybody to think I'm stepping on somebody else. I always want them to realize that I would not be where I'm at or doing what I'm doing without the help of others. And so why am I not going to help somebody else? Because I know I didn't get here on my own. There was someone that gave me advice, or guided me or taught me or something in some way, shape or form, or supported me, uh, whether it be my family, friends or whatever, that even in my cybersecurity career, I wouldn't be where I am without the help and guidance of either fellow soldiers or instructors or whatever the case may be. And me and Davin Jackson talking about a lot. You know, Keytron Evans was a huge, huge mentor of ours, um, and still is to this day. I still reach out to him and talk to him on you know different aspects of security. And, and me and him have had disagreements where it's like, hey, I don't think this. You know, especially when it comes to certifications, we have a little bit of a disagreement. But we have talked about it, and he explained his side. I explained my side, and it was one of those things where it's like, you know, I understand your point. I may, may or may not agree, but. Um, I get where you're coming from and it makes sense. I just I, I don't think it should be that way, but it makes sense considering how the way things are. And so being able to have that discourse and have that discussion without anybody getting mad or angry um, is something that is very much needed and especially in our field because you know everybody writes an exploit differently or likes a language differently or doesn't need to learn a language or has to learn a language. and, and so being able to take the advice of others, or or to criticism and not take it to heart, but but take it as a learning opportunity. Of okay, well maybe they see it this way because of A or because of B. Um, you know, that's something that's been huge for me is, is being able to take criticism and kind of look at it and be like, hmm, do I agree? Do I not agree? And if I agree with it, how do I adapt it and, and put it into the flow of what I do and how I accomplish things in my life and in my career? Um, and if I don't agree with it, then don't agree i I mean we can i don't have to be mad at you it's your opinion um but at the same time that's how you feel people need to succeed in this career so okay um i don't expect everybody to listen to me i mean (laughs) i have my own way of coming up and doing things it may not be the same for everybody else and i would hope not but he has their own journey um but at the very least you know take my journey and the other journeys that i share along the way um with the people that have been on my show and you know been on your show and kind of look at it and, and put your own frame of mind around it and see if maybe something they did or I did will work for you. Um, and that's really what I, what I hope in cybersecurity we could really start doing is looking at everybody's story and everybody's journey and, and everybody's learning and say, well, I can't learn that way. I never did that. So let's try to do this. And then we're going to learn this topic a different way and see if it sticks, see if it works for me. Um, and that's really honestly the, the best thing about it is there's so many different opportunities and, and people out there that you can learn from um, that it's, it's been, it, it's amazing. It truly is.
1: Yeah. It's, it's amazing and, and good that we have all the resources that we do. Cause back when I was getting started in pen testing back in 2012, you didn't have all the content creators. I mean, you had, you know, I, I was following Mubix uh, yeah and uh, Got Milk's blog and that sort of thing. But there wasn't as much out there as there is now. So that's good that people have a little more guidance and opinion. As you mentioned, you know, some people explain it a certain way and people pick up on the way people explain it. So it's good to have all these different views because, you know, we always talk about, you know, diversity in the workplace. It's also your diversity of your resources you're learning from as well, too, is helpful. So it's... Uh,
2: oh, yeah, cool. for sure. And I mean, if you look at it, Again, like you, I think it was the early 2000s back when wireless first came out is when I started getting into offensive security and learning things like backtrack Linux and, and all that other stuff and breaking into wireless networks. And I don't I think I was reading blogs. I can't even tell you who who my resources were, because at the time I wasn't involved in the community. I was just learning. And so I wasn't on any social media for that purpose. I was on, you know, I'd Google search a blog or, or an article or, you know, Stack Overflow or GitHub or something justifying the information I needed. I think offensive security was probably the vast majority of my resources on how to use certain polls. Um, but Mubix was a big one that I ended up coming across um, when I started doing more um, like pen testing and pen test reports and things of that nature because he had a, he had designed a vulnerability database that plugged straight into Serpico, which I forget who that was designed by, but you were able to import the results from here. Um and it sucked because it was a great idea. And I promoted it for a while back in, I think, 2017. Um, but I didn't have the followers. I didn't have the, the the community that I have now. So it never really went anywhere by my word. Um, and I didn't see him promoting it as much as, hey, this is what I have, that it would be great for you guys to do this. Um, but it was an awesome idea of instead of having these paid-for tools or paid-for resources to, like, get your vulnerabilities and do all this importing. Like literally as you would find a vulnerability, you could put it in, put what the exploit was, put in what you would take to remediate it kind of like a vulnerability scanner. But instead this all embedded into an open source, um, pen test report builder. And I was like, this is amazing. Like, I don't have to pay for anything. This is it's free. Um, but as far as the community went, they never really at the time. And I haven't looked at it in a while now. Um, it never went anywhere. So I kind of feel bad because it was like, you know, I'm on Slack with, um, uh, oh my God, I can't remember his name now. Hold on. Now I got to find it. Lee Baird for the discover scripts. And actually I got to get in and I keep saying I'm gonna help fix some scripts up for him. Um, but you know, I talked to Lee Baird almost all you know, several times a month just checking in on the discover scripts and if he needs any help with anything, um, because I think it's a great tool and the fact that he's keeping up with it and Jay Townsend and the tools, you know, that these, these people make is just amazing. And so I really enjoy what they're doing. And so I love giving back to them and being like, even if I don't fix it, being like, Hey, I found this, you guys might want to take a look. I don't have to worry about GitHub and doing a PR or an incident or, you know, whatever. I just go in and say, Hey, here you go. There's, this is the issue. Um, But I I I I love the community when they are that open when when they're willing to talk to you and explain things. Um, Tiberius is another one. I when Tiberius uh, was working on Auto Recon, um, I think it is. uh, I was going through OSCP, and actually I think it was before I even started OSCP. And me and him were talking, and I was you know we were discussing ways he's going to develop develop it for the future, the different versions he was working on. So having those conversations and learning their thought process on why they do things the way they do and the different languages they use and stuff like that, to me, it's just amazing. It's it's one of those things where you learn so much. I mean, I think I learned more about reverse engineering from a 17-year-old than I did trying to learn it on my own or reading articles. Like when he explained certain things to me, I was like, holy crap. And I was like, how old are you? He was like 17. I was like, God, I wish I knew this when I was your age. <laughs> like, I wish I was around this stuff. I was around computers. I was fixing computers. But I, it, when I was in my teens and stuff like that, there, there wasn't anything that I was um, doing. I, I wasn't really into programming. I was just fixing computers. I was just, you know, doing that type of stuff. I knew operating systems. I knew a little bit of networking. And then I knew how you know when hardware went bad, how to fix it. Um, like I said, it wasn't until probably the early 2000s that I really started getting into the security side of things.
1: Yeah, very cool. That kind of worked out well because I was getting ready to kind of ask you how you got started to share with share with our listeners.
2: Yeah, it was it it was weird. Uh, you know, growing up just like anybody else that was born in the 80s, you grow up with AOL and Prodigy and Netscape Navigator and all that other fun jazz, and um, You know, the biggest fear was somebody picking up the phone initially and killing your internet connection, especially if you're in the middle of downloading something. Um, But shortly thereafter came around some of the first malware that I had ever seen. And we called them punters because it was basically a a denial of service on your end where they would send you uh, an instant message and it would kill your connection. And so that kind of intrigued me initially, but I never researched it. I was intrigued, but it was I was still real big into sports and and things like that. So I didn't do any research. And then around 2004, 2005 is when Wi-Fi really started coming to the forefront and and being in more and more homes. Um, And in 2000, uh, I don't even know what year it was, but uh, WEP was still out. WPA had started to come out. It was in its first edition, but WEP was still real big. And so I was sitting around my apartment and I was like, you know, there's got to be a way to crack a Wi-Fi network. Like there, there just has to be a way. And so I ended up breaking into my wireless network and I was like, Holy crap, I could do it. And then from there, I just started looking more into metasploit and just the different tools that pen testers use in, in offensive security professionals. Um, never. And that was the weird thing is some people do it to make money or to do something illegal or, or just cause they're curious. Um, I did it because I was curious and I, I tested everything on my own computer. Like I would literally at the time, I didn't even do a lot with virtual machines and building labs. I legitimately would run malware on my personal computer. I had crashed several computers that way and had to reformat them um, just because I still had not done enough learning to know about building my own lab um, or running a ton of virtual machines. So I remember when my space was out, I was always curious about what certain malware did and you know, when MySpace was around, you'd have those pages. Oh, you have to download this in order to view this MySpace page. And I remember looking at it, and I was like, man, this is a virus. I wonder what it does. Download. And this is when Vista first came out, and UAC was around. And I was like, download, run. And the UAC popped up, and I was like, I probably should say no. But we're going to say yes. Yeah, go ahead, run. <laughs> and pop-up after pop-up, Just, just bomb my screen, um, and it was hilarious, and so, like, you know, you do the whole um, alt-tab and, you know, Windows R to pull up your, your MS config and, and everything else to get to your task manager, kill the virus, and then stop it from running on boot, that way you can actually reboot your computer and, you know, kill it from the system, but, I mean, I was, I had no problem doing that, it was my personal computer, I mean, I didn't have anything important on there, so I really didn't care, I was still young. Um, it's not like I had a license or drivers or social security numbers or credit cards or anything on there because I didn't even have a credit card yet. Um, so it wasn't something I was worried about. And I just oh, I had such I had such a fun time with it. Um, but yeah, my first experience actually getting into the field was definitely when wireless networks came about, breaking into my own Wi-Fi. Um, I joined the Air National Guard and was given the opportunity to do a lot of testing on the Wi-Fi out at my guard base, and you know, testing the security of like. Uh, their wireless system and what they used, but it was never a career field for me. Um, I wanted it to be, but the Air Force didn't have one yet, and then when they came out with it, uh, I was only on the guard, and in that time frame, I'd only ever worked like desktop support or fire dog at Circuit City or help desk, so all the learning I was doing was all on my own and, and playing on my own system. So then I went to the Army with every intent of getting the security and didn't get it right away. Um, ended up being a broadcast engineer and working IT networking and broadcasting and stuff. Uh, and so did that and then finally got cybersecurity in the army, but the whole time I'm still studying on my own, going home every day and playing on Linux. And, you know, at this point I am learning more about lab environments and setting things up. So I have all this stuff set up on my personal computers. Um, and then in 2015, I want to say it was. I finally got the cybersecurity MOS. I went through the schoolhouse, got all my SANS certs and all that other fun stuff. Um, got my CEH in, I think, 14, you know, either 14 or early 15. Uh, ended up on my CCNA and CCNA security at the same time. Um, graduate there, started the MOS, was there for a little while, and then uh, got out and started working in 2017 is when I had my first civilian job in cybersecurity. And it was about October 2017, and so I did that for a little, for about six months. I was a um, a consultant for a company, um, and it was just that's what we called it. But essentially, I was uh, part of the security team for a company here in the Pittsburgh area, and uh, you know, help their patch management and vulnerability management and things like that. Uh, I was there about six months, um, got horrendous pay, so decided that I was leaving anyways. So, at around six months, I had an interview for an MSSB, and I'm getting a huge raise to go and be a blue teamer and work engineering uh, for Sims. And that was great. did that for about a year and a half. And then, uh, at about a year and a half, one of my buddies calls me up, and he was like, hey, I got a pen test job. Do you want it? I said, yeah. Took a pen test job, worked out for a little while, and now I'm doing... I'm mainly blue team, but I do pen tests on occasion when they come up for work and things of that nature. And I continue to help and learn and study um, just so should it ever arise where I need to do a full-blown pen test or red team engagement again, I can still do it. Um, I don't ever want to feel like I can't do it, um, which is why I like mentoring others because then I'm still it's still fresh in my mind how these tools work and how things go. Um, and that's another reason why I do some of the videos on my YouTube channel is so that I can – Okay, this is how Metasploit works, and sometimes I have to refresh because it's been a few months. I'm like, oh crap, how do I, you know, get to the workspaces or, or do this at a third? I'll either watch one of my videos or I'll Google it and find the 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 book on Metasploit, or I'll go to any of my numerous books on Metasploit and, you know, Linux and things of that nature. Linux for Hackers is an amazing book, um, and so, you know, it's been it's been a long journey because a lot of it was self. Teaching myself it. My degree even is only in computer information systems and networking. It wasn't even in security because those degrees didn't exist whenever I went to school. And when I started my master's degree, I ended up not finishing it because it was all paperwork. It was all reports. It was like, oh, write a 10 page report on cybersecurity, write a 10 page report on forensics or whatever. And I'm just like, uh, when am I going to get my hands on equipment? Oh, you're not. Cool. All right. So this is worthless. All right. Good to know. <laughs> Charlie Mike, go about my way. Um, so I never finished my master's. Um, I always intended to, but then realized it's way too much money and I don't feel like paying for a master's degree when I don't need one.
1: So what, what advice Since you do a lot of mentoring and giving advice and stuff? What would you advise for someone that wanted to get started in pen testing?
2: Um, one, don't ever be afraid to fail. Uh, Failure happens, mistakes happen. Uh, keep to your own lab environment initially, whether that's using hack the box or try hack me or something like that, or building your own. Building your own is a great way to do it because then you learn how everything works together and talks. And I think that's one of the big fundamentals that we're missing today in, in people trying to get into cybersecurity is they don't know the fundamentals. So they immediately try to jump into like pen testing or you know become an analyst or whatever, but they haven't done the underlying research yet. And I'm not saying get certified. You don't need a network plus or an A plus or anything like that. Hell, you don't even necessarily have to work a job in the in the technical field. But it is very difficult to get a job in cybersecurity, and regardless whether it's pen testing, an analyst, an engineer, a consultant, IAM, whatever. Um, if you don't understand the underlying concepts of how networks communicate, if you don't understand, you know how a router talks to another router or a switch, or how this operating system can communicate to this operating system. Um, or even how they work internally. And I only say that because uh, there's a lot of vulnerabilities and exploits and identity management and things like that, especially with the cloud now, where if you don't know how all these pieces work together, it makes it very difficult for you to to do your job. Because as a blue teamer, you have to be able to correlate data. And you can't correlate that data if you don't know where that data is coming from or what what logs are going to show up. Uh, As a red teamer or as a pen tester, You have to know how to bypass certain systems or what a firewall is and how to, you know, how it works. So your next-gen firewalls are completely different, right? They're they're looking at layers, you know, three three through seven. Like, they actually work at the application layer now. Um, So if you don't understand how these things talk and work and communicate, then it'll make your job a hell of a lot harder. It'll make it a lot harder to get into the field because then when you're asked questions about it, you won't have the answer. You may know how to find the answer, but the fact that you didn't even know the answer to some of the most basic questions, like what is port 443 used for, um, then it becomes a lot more difficult. Um, It's already hard when you don't have experience. Don't add a lack of knowledge on top of that. So you should have one of the two, either experience in IT, uh, whether that's network administration or system administration, or knowledge that you can um, produce, whether that's a blog post, YouTube, GitHub, something, that'll show you have the information, the ability to learn um, what it's going to take to do that job. So you have, you can't, you can't have none of that and expect to land a job. You have to have some way to show your work. Um, And that just makes it easier on everybody because these days, what's the first thing most people do when they go to hire someone? As soon as they get a resume, they're looking for a LinkedIn profile or a Facebook page or Twitter or something to see what information you're putting out and who you are. Um, Because it lends a lot to, like I said, what is your capability to learn? Are you able to be taught? And if I don't see any willingness to learn, then why am I going to bring you on, say, where I work as a consultant? If you don't have a willingness to learn, that's a lot of what consulting is. You're, you're learning on the fly because different clients are going to have different technologies and do different things, especially in pen testing. There's different firewalls and different EDRs and different SIMs and different, you know, logging mechanisms and, and things like that. So if you, if you can't learn what each of these things do, it's going to make your job really, really difficult. So I have to know that you have an ability to learn. So I always say, show that ability. Write a blog or do a YouTube channel or get a GitHub repo, something for the position you're going for.
1: So what is your opinion on certifications and degrees? Do you think that's a requirement for people trying to get in to the industry?
2: I don't think it should be a requirement. I think it is. I think some companies make it a requirement but I don't think it should be. Um, again, it comes down to, you know, you can have all the certifications in the world, but if you've never put it into practice and you've never done any hands-on learning, then those certifications don't really mean much, they do they? Same with a degree. If you've never had your hands on the equipment and actually done the job, it doesn't really mean much. Now you show me a blog post or YouTube channel or something that shows that you've actually been doing the job, I think that holds more weight. Um, So I don't necessarily care about certifications. But if you have a certification or a degree, you better be able to speak on those topics. And I think that's where a lot of people fall short is they do so much to study for a certification or for a degree. But then when it's done, it all gets pushed to the back of their mind. And so they can't recall it or they can't talk about it. And I think that's the biggest thing is if you're going to have a security plus, you better be able to tell me. You know, at, at least some of these ports that I have on my back wall, like you should tell me. I should be able to say, "Hey, what port does HTTP generally work on?" You should be able to say port 80. What is DNS? What, what port does DNS generally work on? Because yes, you can change all these ports. They don't all. They don't have to work over those ports. But you should know what the common ports are, or at least some of them. And if you can't speak to that, especially from a security standpoint, then your deg- your your degree and your certs mean nothing to me. And, and I think that's the biggest thing is don't get a certification if you're not going to do anything with it. Or if you are hoping to do something with it, then and it's taking you a while to get a job. You should be keeping up those skills and that knowledge so that when the time comes for you to interview and get that job, that certification means something. Don't don't get a certification just for it to be a certification and get your foot in the door somewhere and then you can't speak to it. You should be able to speak on whatever certifications you have. And I'll be the first one to admit my reverse engineering malware certification that I got uh, last year, the year before. I mean, I probably, I could do it if I sat down and, and worked at it again, but I'd at least have the books to know, okay, I need to go here, here. I know what malware I'm dealing with. I know what it's doing, but I I would struggle through assembly for a little while. But I have the ability to go back, pick up a book and, and be like, all right, it was this chapter, this page, or right, this is what I need to do. So, I think there's a difference in the way people learn because some people can recall things easily. I can't. If, if you ask me a question, I may not know right then, but it's not going to take me a week to relearn it. It's going to take me a few minutes to pick up the book, figure out where it was at, and then recall it from memory like, oh, yeah, this is how you do all this stuff. And it usually just takes one or two keywords. Some people it would take days, if not weeks, to relearn something that they should know via certification.
1: Yeah, we're getting down towards the end of the show. Is there anything you'd like to share that we haven't discussed?
2: Honestly, just keep your head up, man. That's, that's the biggest thing. So many people get worried and they get um, disheartened when they get turned down for a job. They don't get the interview or they don't hear back. Um, so don't don't let it get to you. Keep your head up. If this is a field that you really want to get into, um, you're going to get in. It's just going to be working with somebody, meeting the right person. Networking is Huge in this industry. Get on LinkedIn. Make a good profile on LinkedIn and actually talk to the people on there. Engage with them. Because a lot of times by engaging with others, especially your CISOs, your security managers, your, your security engineers, things of that nature, if you engage with their posts, if you actually develop a communication channel with them, then when you go and put out, man, I've been looking for a job and, you know, I've, I've applied and applied and applied and nobody said anything, those people will reach back out to you. If they have an opening, they'll reach back out. So don't be afraid to put yourself out there and actually, you know, engage with higher ups. If you see a post that you think, oh, I have some insight on that, comment on it. Let them know what your insight is. That way they can actually um, engage with you. And that way, if you don't feel ready for a job yet and you start, you know, looking at jobs six months down the road you can actively post about those things. Like, hey, I'm looking for a job of, you know, applied to, don't ever, I, I, I say don't name and shame companies right away. Give it a few years before that happens um, just because it looks bad. But, um, you know, if you haven't heard, and, and, and honestly, if it's a company you really want to work for, if you've already developed the communication channel with those hiring managers, you can reach out and say, hey, I have applied like three times, never heard back. Can you tell me why? But don't do it out the, you know, in your first high I've applied, and I've never heard back. Like you should have a rapport. You should have a relationship with these people. before. So, I mean, that would be the biggest thing develop your relationships and and don't get disheartened. Don't, don't let failure hold you back. Pick yourself back up, ask someone for a hand. Um, well, there's many of us that'll help you get to where you want to be and help you grow. So don't be afraid to reach out. Well,
1: thanks. Great advice. So thanks for, for joining me. It was an honor to have you on think this can be useful to a lot of people and i appreciate it
2: yeah man definitely anytime uh as always man it's been great having you on my show the times you've come on uh it's great being on here and like i said anytime you need anything you let me know and uh for anybody listening feel free to reach out i'm always here to help and, and give advice or you know you don't have to take it but i'll give you my perspective and then it's up to you whether or not you want to listen
1: well, thanks again. And thanks, everyone, for joining. And we'll see you on the next episode.
0: BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Hacker Factory podcast with Philip Wiley. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share itspmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.